Well, I am Dr. Lorraine Giordano, Chair of MISNI's Committee on Emergency Preparedness and Disaster Terrorism Response. I am joined today by Dr. William Valente, Dr. Arthur Cooper, and Dr. Craig Katz. Our topic for discussion will be MISNI's Physicians Electronic Emergency Preparedness Toolkit. Since September 11, 2001, MISNI has been at the forefront of physician disaster preparedness, ensuring that New York's physicians and healthcare teams have all the tools necessary to respond and react to all types of public health emergencies. This year, we have given the Physicians Electronic Emergency Preparedness Toolkit a facelift to include essential items that were shown to be of paramount importance during the COVID-19 pandemic. Our conversations will focus on these changes and look at some of the emergency preparedness lessons learned throughout this pandemic. Our first tool-related podcast focused on reflection of where we were during the attacks of September 11, 2001. Today, we will discuss ways in which the face of medicine and physician preparedness has changed over the past 20 years. We will start with the discussion of the lessons learned during the COVID pandemic relating to emergency preparedness. Dr. Cooper, can you please elaborate on some of the systems that were in place prior to COVID? What preparedness lessons do you think we've learned? Thank you, Dr. Giordano. You know, there were many systems in place to allow us to respond effectively to disasters, including not only the state disaster plan, but also the numerous county disaster plans. As I said, all disasters are local, and every disaster response must begin at the local level. Often, and perhaps even especially in the case of infectious diseases, particularly influenza-like illnesses or ILIs, and the offices of astute primary care physicians who notice novel clusters of disease even before more formal syndromic surveillance methods have done so. So physicians' offices are not only the first line of defense against emerging infectious diseases, but also very often the first line of recognition as well. Since 9-11-2001, of course, the federal government has played a huge role in helping communities prepare for disasters, chiefly through the Office of the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, or ASPR, as it is called, within the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, or HHS. ASPR was in the forefront of the HHS response to Ebola, and of course, more recently to COVID-19, and has led the efforts to create regional systems entitled coalitions of local health departments, hospitals, emergency medical services, or EMS, and of course, emergency managers, a professional discipline virtually unheard of prior to 9-11-2001. However, and this is most important, none of these systems function effectively unless all healthcare professionals recognize that disaster medicine is everyone's second specialty and prepare themselves for the day that disaster strikes. This is why our medical society has devoted numerous hours to the development of special programs geared toward the education of primary care physicians in all the key elements of the all-hazards disaster response, focusing especially on conditions they may encounter in their offices. To take advantage of these free continuing medical education credit-bearing courses, all one has to do is visit the MISNI website and look under the CME tab at the top of the homepage. 
This tab will also guide you to the MISNI Disaster Toolkit, which contains a treasure trove of information on how to respond to medical disasters and what one needs to do to prepare for them. So scroll on down. Thank you, Dr. Cooper. Dr. Valente, can you please describe some of the most important things physicians need to know about epidemiology, infectious diseases, and immunizations? What are some of the steps that could have been taken before and during the COVID pandemic to improve public health outcomes? Can you also discuss some of the ways in which MISNI has endeavored to increase knowledge and preparedness during the pandemic? Thank you, Dr. Giordano. First, epidemiology. That's a science that looks at patterns and signals of illness or infection in order to understand health and disease. It's a very brief, high-level definition. Infectious diseases. Well, central to understanding infectious diseases is the concept of contagion. It's critical to navigate the infectious disease. In other words, how are infections transmitted? We need to understand it, and we need to be able to explain contagion to our patients. Immunizations. The science of immunization is called vaccinology. The science of vaccines is not new either. In fact, Dr. Jenner was using cowpox vaccine to prevent smallpox in 1780. And 200 years later, we were able to eradicate smallpox with vaccine. The 1950s, with the advent of the polio vaccine, polio has all but been eradicated. The bottom line here is that vaccines stop the spread of infectious agents, both viruses and bacteria. Some of the steps that could have been taken before and during the pandemic, it's a little more complicated, but I, I promise I'll be brief. First of all, pandemics are disruptive and it takes preparedness and leadership to deal with and manage a pandemic. As I look back, at 2020, the signals were there, but our response was a little bit bumpy because of lack of preparedness and difficulty with communication, especially those concepts of contagion. One thing I thought of is that we might have taken more from the HIV pandemic playbook. That was a sudden appearance of an infectious agent that was never seen before that killed people. And as physicians, we need to understand and navigate the conflict that's arisen between public health and freedom. We can weaponize public health and expect to get through this. Dr. Katz, you've been involved in disaster psychiatry outreach for many years. In what ways do you think the psychiatric response to the COVID pandemic is similar to and also different from the attacks on 9-11? Thank you, Dr. Giordano. You know, I think it's hard not to try to make a comparison to 9-11 for many of us. But, you know, I think in many respects, the, the COVID-19 pandemic from a psychiatric perspective is completely different. I mean, I think the one similarity is that amongst the highest exposed, most psychiatrically affected population are the frontline workers, right? And at 9-11, it was the, the ground zero workers, uh, workers that we still continue to to treat at my medical center at Mount Sinai and in many other medical centers, they took a, a big hit in the course of their work. Of course, the similarity in the pandemic is that we had frontline workers, but they were ourselves, our fellow healthcare workers. And so, I mean, that is the one, I think, similarity. Right? 
in a sense, ground zero was our hospitals and our emergency rooms and our ICUs. But after that, I think it's just so entirely different in so many ways. I mean, 9-11 was devastating, of course, but it was a, thankfully, turned out to be one day and in very focal places. And although its ramifications were enormous and historically its ramifications have been enormous, right? The pandemic, as we all well know, has rolled on and on for now about two years with many spikes and with it rides our emotions. And so the longevity of the pandemic, the unpredictability of it, I think are enormous. And I think also the, in the pandemic, the mixing of kind of a natural disaster and a man-made disaster, the, all the human factors that have gone into perhaps perpetuating it in terms of different access to healthcare amongst different populations, partly in cre a creation of our societies, and then all the racial and political issues that have been flaring at, at, at the same time. I think this is just a whole different bag of wax. And I think it's also, in a sense, you know, far more than post-trauma. Uh, there's grief. And for example, you know, one, one study looked at the impact of grief on the population and figured out that for every person lost in the pandemic, probably on average about nine people are bereaved. And when you think about the millions that we've lost, that is a lot of people. And that's different. I mean, it, the whole thing is traumatic for sure, but it goes beyond just thinking about post-trauma. So I think all those issues make it really quite different. And of course, the also add just the whole earth was affected. Everybody has been affected. I mean, just fortunately, the, the rings of exposure from 9-11 were not that vast, even though we were all touched by it in different ways. Thank you. Additionally, physician and healthcare burnout has been on the rise for many years. What recommendations, Dr. Katz, do you have to alleviate the myriad additional stressors caused by the pandemic? Well, that's a really good question. And yes, burnout was getting a good deal more attention prior to the pandemic. And they, fortunately, we didn't quite catch up with the burnout in time for the pandemic. So the pandemic lands right in the middle of it and makes it so much worse. I mean, to some degree, some of the challenges are in the environment and sort of in terms of staffing shortages, nursing shortages. And of course, early on, there were the entire stress of the shortage of personal protective equipment. It was an enormous stress. I, I think we're beyond that now. And there's the entire stress of the vaccine and anti-vaccine issues. So there's some real things out there that are hard for any of us to control. But in terms of coping with the situation, you know, physicians, we tend to kind of just bury our heads in and keep working. And that's partly what contributed to some of the burnout in the first place. And so I really hope that in a moment like this, where in a disaster, something like this, like a truly global event, where being emotional and recognizing one's emotions becomes more accepted, that this will be a chance for physicians to be a little bit more self-aware and take a bit more care of themselves or a whole lot more better care of themselves. But, you know, I think a lot of this is about destigmatizing for physicians the idea that you may need help, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. And I have to say, I think a lot of organizations and hospitals, if, if somebody's hospital-based, have provided uh, services for their physicians and other healthcare professionals, but you got to use them and not be afraid to use them. And I would especially point out MISNI's own program, its own peer-to-peer -peer program that we set up probably about a year and a half ago, or maybe even two, you know, fairly early in the pandemic, 
something that we had wanted to do before, but the pandemic, as bad things do, kind of accelerated something good. A program where fellow physicians are available to provide a friendly ear to you if you are feeling stressed out wherever you are. And physicians who've been trained to do this, physicians who are donating their time and are certainly we're all compassionate. I think they are especially compassionate. And so, you know, I'll just mention the number here. It is 1-844-P2P-PEER, which is peer-to-peer, peer, or the actual number is 844-727-7337 and call and you will get connected with a, with a colleague who will listen and try to be of help, not be your psychiatrist, but you know, be someone who understands what it's like to be in the trenches and, and if necessary, can point you to other resources. Do you have any specific recommendations for how physicians can prepare mentally for public health crises and also how they can better help their patients during a public health emergency? Well, I think the best way to prepare for a public health emergency is to be informed. And uh, that is certainly where all the information that we have uh, in our emergency preparedness toolkit comes in, uh, being up to speed on, on the basics of disaster response and uh, all the different dimensions of it. So you have that broad background. And then in the event of a, a catastrophic event, pandemic or otherwise, being up to speed on the current information specific to that event. So a lot of it comes down to information. And I really feel that patients, even me as a psychiatrist, translating the, the recommendations from the CDC or the Department of Health, being up to speed on them and translating them for my patients, I think was at least as helpful as whatever Prozac I was prescribing. So I think physicians having information and given our credibility, I think is an enormous way to prepare ourselves and then you know, be available to our patients. Thank you. The next questions for all of us. Since its inception, this committee has provided and promoted the doctrine that disaster preparedness is every physician's second specialty. What does that mean to each of you, particularly relating to the climate of healthcare at present? For me, physicians need to be prepared to actively participate in disaster situations. They need to know the language of disaster medicine and the philosophy. They also need to know the multiple potential types of disasters that can affect their community. The principles of triage and decontamination. They need to know how to protect themselves and to interact with their pre-hospital providers, hospital systems, and public health officials. They need to have pre-plans of actions for themselves, their families, their patients, and their staffs. They need to know their roles in response, available resources, and whom to turn to for help. They need to actively participate in pre-planning and drills and prepare themselves and keep themselves current through CME, just as we're having today. Dr. Cooper, your thoughts. Thanks, Dr. Giordano. You know, what disaster medicine as every physician's second specialty means to me is simple. In the event of a disaster affecting the public health, it's all hands on deck. And if we're not all part of the solution, we tragically become part of the problem. To whom else but the trusted voice of one's personal physician will every member of the public first turn for reliable information? We all know, of course, that social media are playing an ever greater role in American life, not always for the better. 
Our patients need us to help them decide what is correct information and what is not. For someone like me, a hospital-based acute care pediatric surgeon, it is expected that I will be ready to respond when disaster strikes. But that should be no less true for any of us. In Latin, the term doctor means teacher. And as such, in every physician's office, patient education will be the first and foremost treatment we dispense, in addition to whatever medications we may prescribe or operations we may recommend. This education is our greatest power. Dr. Valente? Yes, thank you. A couple things. One is trust science. The other thing that we often talk about in our planning meetings is just that to plan for the worst and hope for the best. And in terms of leadership and decision-making, this is what I do. I try to anticipate what might happen with one decision or another. In other words, I ask myself, what will happen if I do it this way? Or in what will happen if I don't do that? Then make that informed decision. And there are a lot of support uh, available from uh, MISNI in terms of educational programming, uh, webcasts, this toolkit, our Medical Matters program, a series of podcasts. But there's a lot available right within our MISNI organization and membership to at least help us get started with some of this. Thank you. Dr. Katz? I would say a few things about what preparedness means to me. I mean, firstly, I usually describe myself to my patients as a paid worrier. As a physician, I'm paid to worry about what could go wrong and to think about as many possibilities at the individual level as possible. But you know, disaster preparedness is about worrying on a, on a larger scale, what may be coming down the road. And I think from all the meetings that we've had of our emergency preparedness committee, we all knew that a pandemic was going to be coming. It was anticipated and issues like ventilator shortages, things like that were actually being anticipated and planned for. It would have been superb if more physicians were paying attention to that. And I think we would have been better prepared rather than a relative minority to do that. So, you know, I, I think preparedness is about worrying at, the, at a larger level. And I would say in that sense, thinking in terms of public health, which many of us as physicians tend not to think as much. Again, we think about the individual. So I think disaster preparedness involves thinking about the, the public's health and thinking on a, a large scale and thinking about your role, again, as many of us have already said, as a trusted leader in your community and thinking about community level issues. And finally, I would add, I think for me, preparedness also involves being personally prepared. I have to say I was not personally prepared when the pandemic hit, I have to admit. And particularly, I was concerned, like, what if something happened to me? Who would have access to my patient records? All things that I do. Now, I very quickly, actually, my wife, who's a physician, also did this too, try to arrange all the information so somebody could access that. And, you know, one of my medical students, we were talking about sort of wellness and balance. And we asked students to give ideas about how do you maintain a sense of wellness and balance in your life? And they said they start their days by making their bed. And I think if you're going to be oh, an advocate, and an agent for public health preparedness, you got to make your own bed and have your own house in order. And I think then the rest will follow. Yes. And I think it's important too that the philosophy and the shift of paradigm in our mindset that we are now doing the best we can for a maximum number as opposed to 
maximizing all of our efforts on one patient. And that is a big mindset that needs to be understood. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you are listening as part one of the updated Physicians Electronic Emergency Preparedness Toolkit, we encourage you to complete all four modules. If you are listening to learn more about emergency preparedness, we strongly encourage you to go to the cmemisney.org website and check out the many wonderful programs of emergency preparedness modules available there. Be well, be safe, and always remember that by failing to prepare, we prepare to fail.